Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. On a newsy day in central New York, another gorgeous day. All of our best summer has come in September and October. It is beautiful. Here in downtown central New York, temperature in the mid-70s, maybe upper 70s. And it's uh, supposed to continue throughout the next week or so. So lots of that great late-season golf weather. And we're talking baseball a great deal today. Not only the playoffs ongoing, the Yankees staying alive with a win last night, but a news bomb dropped yesterday. Didn't see it coming, and we're going to hear more about it over the course of the day. But the Syracuse Chiefs here in town apparently set to be purchased by the New York Mets. And there's lots of ramifications about that. It brings about more questions than answers at this point. And we're excited to talk about it. We'll have Matt Michael, longtime Syracuse Chiefs beat reporter for the Post Standard, now with the uh, Syracuse New Times. And uh, Matt will join us and kind of will walk through some of the potential options here. What are the Mets saying by buying the team? What does it mean for the future of baseball in the area? What does it mean for fans and consumers of baseball, for the county, for the stadium, etc.? Lots to uh, walk through there, and we'll do that uh, with Matt coming up. And we'll also dip our toes into the waters of the NBA, the season soon to begin. Dave McMenamin, former Syracuse University student, a graduate, affiliated with the basketball program here, and he's done a great job at ESPN over the years covering the Lakers and Cavs, uh, most specifically, but uh, we'll duck in on the start of the NBA season, which includes uh, the most prominent former Syracuse player, of course, in Carmelo Anthony, on a new team in the NBA this year. So uh, some NBA odds and ends with Dave coming up in a bit. And that's all with the Orange football team set to host the defending national champions, winners of 11 in a row, Clemson, in the Dome Friday night at 7. So lots going on, and we'd love to have your involvement. If you'd like to chime in on the show, you can call us at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44. So my understanding, and kind of picking up uh, the info as we go along here, is that the Chiefs have a press conference today to uh, discuss this uh, business with the Mets and the pending sale of the team to the New York Mets and uh, trading texts and things like that with with friends last night. I think people kind of wonder, first of all, what does that mean? Well, if you operate a AAA team, what what the Mets in, in essence are buying is the license to have a AAA operation. There's only 30 of those. There's... 14 teams in the International League. There's 16 teams in the Pacific Coast League. And the Mets, based on a series of what's called the, you have a uh, the agreement between the parent club and the local operation. It's called a player development contract. The PDC uh, can either be a two-year arrangement or four. And then obviously there are a series of renewals or lack thereof. Sometimes there's very long-standing arrangements, right? So the Boston and Pawtucket Red Sox have been partners for better than 30 years. Syracuse and Toronto 
were together for some 30 years. It's been the Nationals uh, for close to the last 10. Uh, down the road in Rochester, close to the last 10 or so with the Minnesota Twins, and before that, some 45 years with the Baltimore Orioles. But some places tend to turn over more for various reasons, and in the musical chairs that are the uh, PDC arrangements, nobody wants to be in Sin City, in Las Vegas. And the Mets, based on the last uh, turn of events, have been in Las Vegas here in recent years. They were in Buffalo for a minute. And any major league general manager or farm director will tell you that if he's affiliated with a team, this is mostly the Western teams, of course, if you're affiliated with a team in the Pacific Coast League, and there's always going to be one sort of Eastern, the way it's set up, there's about, I think it's almost exactly, there's 15 AAA cities east of the Mississippi, there's 15 west of the Mississippi, or Major League, I guess, and there's always going to be one sort of Eastern Major League team that gets stuck with a Pacific Coast League affiliate just because of the way the numbers work. And Las Vegas, maybe sometimes New Orleans, maybe before they changed stadiums, Nashville, were the sort of the dregs or the place that that there were the last chairs taken in the musical chairs. Farm directors of a major league team will say you don't sleep when your AAA team is the visiting team in Las Vegas for lots of reasons. The temptation being probably first and foremost, but from a baseball perspective, the between the field, the wind, the elevation, the humidity, etc., numbers are blowed in the Pacific Coast League. An ERA of four on the PCL translates to an ERA of three and a quarter in the International League. Somebody that's hitting 45 home runs in the Pacific Coast League or the Texas League hits 35 in AAA. Of course, nobody hits those types of numbers in AAA, so you deflate those a little bit, but you get the idea that it's a little bit of a different animal that needs some translation. So first and foremost, before we hear any of the political machinations or the statements made by a lot of people of what's going on here, first and foremost, the Mets are trying to get out of Las Vegas, and this is one very bold, permanent way to do that. Their buying the Syracuse Chiefs means now they don't have to make an agreement with anybody to have their AAA team close to home. They are the local operating party, or they're about to be. Uh, understanding as this takes place uh, following the conclusion of next baseball season gearing up for 2019. So it looks like we're looking for one more year of the Chiefs being under local management and affiliated with the Nationals. And then after that, the Nationals are probably on the move, and while it wouldn't be a uh, given that they go to Las Vegas or something like that, uh, that would be a, a likely best bet. What type of routes are the Mets going to lay down here? They have a lot of options when they uh, take on that team. There's a lot of things to get excited about, a lot of potential. The guys on the previous show talked about it a little bit. You can build... Uh, that fan base in a little more cohesive way when you can say, look, we've got guys coming up from Binghamton and they play here for a year and we get to know them and then they become Mets and we get to see them on TV every night. That's how it's supposed to work. That's among the reasons that there are successful arrangements where the AAA team and the Major League team are clustered. Ideally, Major League organizations now are trying to build these clusters close to their home, right? 
best example would be the Boston Red Sox, 45 minutes down the road, the Pawtucket Red Sox. The fans, it's a sort of consistent, congruous uh, way of becoming a fan. Double-A teams in Portland, they're all in New England. They follow it. Cleveland has the Columbus Clippers and the Akron Rubber Ducks, they're called their double-A team. They're there and they're close. Over time, some teams have enjoyed a, a better version of that than others, and the Mets are getting closer to that by moving in. It has, it has clearly logistical benefits. Uh, one of the great things about Syracuse is we're a reasonable drive from probably about a third of Major League Baseball. So if the Mets really had to, in an emergency, get a player from Syracuse or wherever the Chiefs were on the road in the International League to City Field or to wherever the Mets are, typically on the road in the National League East, well, it's pretty easy. You can make it a reasonable drive or a, a short flight. That's not the case if your team's in Las Vegas or if they're on the road playing in Sacramento or Tacoma or El Paso or somewhere like that. So lots of things to get into with how this uh, comes down. Uh, very complicated financial dealing, I would think, given that this is one of the few community own teams. There's not one owner of the Syracuse Chiefs, and now apparently it's about to be the Wilpon family uh, from the Mets coming in. So can't wait to hear more details. I know uh, Steve is headed out there, and we'll have uh, some reporting on that on Channel 9 and look to hear and read more about that. When we come back, we'll visit with Matt Michael. He knows uh, how a lot of this works and has seen uh, the changes in this organization, uh, the Chiefs, over the past couple of decades, and uh, I think to a a degree could sort of see this coming as uh, the Chiefs go from a really a family-run operation with the Simones to uh, run by a board of uh, various people and different management here in recent years, and what might all of this uh, foretell. So we'll get through that when we continue. Then we'll talk NBA later in the show with Dave McMenamin. But Matt Michael coming up in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. It's a Friday night game as the Clemson Tigers invade the Dome. Pre-game at 5, kickoff at 7. Catch Syracuse football all season long on TK99 and ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. You bet we're jacked up for that Friday night game. Love the Friday nights. Friday night opener is fantastic. The Orange are winning at this year against Central Connecticut. And then a primetime Friday game nationally televised this weekend. A 7 o'clock start on Friday. The Orange and the number two Clemson Tigers win of a winners of a nation's best 11 in a row. We're talking baseball and basketball, though, a great deal on the show today. And uh, love the topic of minor league baseball. And we'd like to uh, bring in Matt Michael to discuss that. And, Matt, we've been friends a, a long time uh, watching these uh, Chiefs and uh, wringing our hands o- over it and the operation and hoping for uh, the best and stable uh, existence of, of AAA baseball here in central New York. And I don't know if we're closer to that or further away. <laughs> based well, on you're the right, Matt. It's, uh, I think we're probably going to be in that same situation, uh, depending on what happens in a, in a little while here and what they announce in terms of the lease uh, between the Mets and, and uh, Onondaga County. Um, we'll, we'll know at that point at what point we could start wringing hands again. <laughs> so if it's a five-year lease, then in year six, start uh, start ringing. Well, right. So I, I, I said and opened the show basically by saying to me, 
while this is exciting and I'm I'm anxious to see what's the next thing, there's more questions than answers. And would that be safe to say that's your first question, which is, you know, what level of commitment is are the Mets intended to stay here or is this convenient for now? For instance, we didn't get into this in the opening segment. The Mets could now within their right say, okay, well, our Triple A team's in Brooklyn now, and uh, Syracuse, you're the uh, you're what used to be known as the Brooklyn Cyclones, and mm-hmm. in, you're in the New York Penn League. That that's pretty much a stroke of the pen away if that's what they want to do. Uh, yes, and that will depend again on their agreement here with Syracuse with Onondaga County because they don't own the stadium. So you know they're, they're, they will need a place to play, and uh, presumably it will be here <laughs> in Syracuse. So uh, those details will be announced later. But whenever that runs out, I think is when when you'd look uh, for that possibility that would give the Mets, if they are indeed looking in that direction, you know, some time here to to figure that out. And um, you know, Syracuse would eventually have to uh, you know have to match whatever the Mets are are looking to do. And I would just tell fans, if you're not familiar at all with what happened, just look at the Atlanta Braves and the Richmond Braves. Um, Atlanta bought the AAA Richmond Braves and then shortly thereafter moved them to Gwinnett County, uh, which is closer to Atlanta. Uh, Richmond ended up with a AA team. Now, all the circumstances not quite the same, but just an example of what could happen. Although, you know, let's look on the half-empty side and, and say that, you know, this may also be the best thing that ever happened to Syracuse baseball. Sure. You know, let, let's start there. Um, mm-hmm. From the, and I think you mean half-full side in this case. So, yeah. So let, <laughs> yes, but, I do. I do. Because um, I think we could, I think we could look at, <laughs> I think we could look at it um, yes. both ways. I, I'll tell you, honestly, my very first reaction mm-hmm. actually turned more toward what your last comment was and we can come back to this, but my very first reaction was I think people who don't know minor league baseball leap to the conclusion that ownership by a major league team means stability, and while, yes, maybe it does mean stability for your existence, if this is run like a lot of other major league-owned operations in the minors, i.e. the Florida State League, i.e. well, Florida State League would be the best example of what I'm talking about, Mm Mm-hmm. That's roll out the balls and play in stadiums that they already own for spring training. That is not a great local promotional entity. you know. So the types of things that we know the Chiefs to be here, there wouldn't mm-hmm. be any of that. And I'm not saying the Mets necessarily have that intention, but we, we, we can come back to that. But I guess what I'm getting at is the New York Mets are not nece- – their interest in having a AAA team, of course, is to develop their players. It's not in the idea of being – first and foremost, a good citizen or providing local family programming or whatever that might be. Right. And and the other part of that for major league teams, uh, in some cases, not all, is to make some money. And the Mets owe a lot of money. <laughs> they, they they are not in the greatest uh, financial situation. Uh, I won't get into all that with uh, the whole uh, uh, Ponzi scheme deal and the Will Ponds and all that. But, uh, you know, they may be looking for a way to make money. And that's the worst case scenario then for Syracuse, because then they would need to fill the stadium and make money here. But in general, uh, I think you're right. They are looking for, obviously, the Mets are looking for a place closer to New York. They found it a short plane ride, a short drive to New York from Syracuse. Um, they're in a great league, um, a league that, uh, you know, has is all very close. The travel is minimal in the International League. Out in Las Vegas, uh, where the Mets were at, the stadium was one of the worst in AAA. And in the Pacific Coast League, where Las Vegas played, um, very uh, high-altitude places, the stats can be, can be very skewed. I mean, most major 
Major League teams do not want to be out there. Uh, they are there only because of uh, geographical reasons. So for all those things, you know, from a baseball development standpoint, the Mets are, you know, are 100 times better here than Las Vegas. And if that's truly what they're looking for, then that's great. That's great for Syracuse. And the other stuff, you know, you fill in, you try to make some money, you do your promotions, you do all that, and then, you know, everybody's happy. That's, that is the uh, half full yeah. <laughs> look at it. And that's, um, that's what we're hoping. Well, I think the upshot certainly is that you get to kind of follow these uh, players and through the system and build the relationship. In other words, it's hard to get attached to any given player or group of players in AAA because by definition, they're up and down all the time. But if you can follow the concept of, well, these are our guys and they become players that are on, you know, certainly if they were a Yankees affiliate, it'd be even more true because that's the team that everybody roots for in this area, that mo- most people do. And then you turn around and we can see them on TV and we can see their development and they, they grow in a vertical fashion toward what we're all interested in. That's obviously the best arrangement. And that does happen in a few places. You know, the Pawtucket, mm-hmm. Boston is the, the best example that I gave, but there are several of those. Yeah, and, that, and oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's another very practical uh, reason to do this is that, uh, and, and again, in the idea of making money, creating more fans, and getting more seat, you know, people to fill up your seats at City Field. You know, you're here, you're closer, and that's that's what you happen. The Mets are here; uh, they're on the radio and on uh, yeah. on television here every night um, on the radio, uh, right where you're at, Matt, sure. <laughs> and uh, where we're at too after our Yankees on Deck show. And so that's all. Uh, you know, that's all very. You know, it all works very well. Uh, for the Mets, so um, and maybe for Syracuse too, because they really haven't had that for a long time since the Yankees were here in the seventies. Yeah, and if you were to kind of the era of this, unfortunately, is gone. But if you were to do such a splash as a major league team visiting for an exhibition game or, or those types of things, now when the major league team owns your AAA affiliate, it becomes um, you know a much easier negotiation and an easier deal to pull off. The stadium, Matt, and this is a topic for another time because it gets people so enraged here. And we can talk about, um, you know, the for, for my money, I always say the the actual location of the stadium. While we could all debate that maybe a downtown stadium would be better, is the least of the Chiefs' worries, or it's not foremost. Let's say I, I, I don't. I always think that's the lamest excuse for why people have not historically gone. Um, to Chiefs games because I don't it's not like it's in Brewerton or, or out, <laughs> right. out in the boondocks okay um, the, the stadium is accessible what the, the existing sort of local management let's say um, and this is a community owned team very complicated maybe you could walk us through what uh, they're dealing with here what, what, what is it that's actually sold and, and what's the next sort of reaction for those people yeah, well, this is all very interesting, and I'll try to simplify it as best I can, not because people can't understand it, just because we don't have all day. <laughs> so, uh, But basically, the team, uh, since 1961, when it came into existence, was owned by about... I don't know, 15,000 shareholders. I mean, this increased somewhat over the years and about 4,000 shares of stock, give or take, something like that. And I think uh, there's some articles that have uh, some of those exact numbers in today, but but that's basically it. 
So uh, for this actual this sale to occur means that the uh, shareholders who hold at least half of that stock uh, are willing to sell it to the Mets. So that means this whole community-owned baseball deal is done. Um, you know, the all the shareholders, at least the ones that are people, are, you know, the Chiefs are aware of. Now there are a lot of I think shareholders out there who don't even know they have shares. You know, they're <laughs> sitting right. in an attic somewhere or they're long gone with with relatives who have passed away. But anyway, they will they will take the money that they get from the Mets, you know, divvy it up, and uh, and that'll be that. And the Mets come in, and they you know they get to do everything. They can boot out the current front office. They could you know make all those sort of decisions from a baseball standpoint. Um, but well, I shouldn't say that for sure. That's how it's worked pretty much everywhere else. Uh, what they don't own is the stadium, so that's where the county uh, comes into play. Uh, but uh, as far as the community ownership end of it. Um, you know, those days are done. Um, I think there's a little bit more uh, to all that, so I don't know how much time you have, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but that's how that'll work uh, here in the short term. Yeah, and I, I think people who just go to the game because it's something fun to do on a Saturday night or a Sunday afternoon aren't really aware of the business aspect of how it goes, right? So, you know, up until now, the Washington, the players you see on the field, the Washington Nationals are mm-hmm. paying for them. The uniforms and the, you know, uh, the promotions and the hot dogs were all purchased by whatever you want to call it, the entity that is the Syracuse Chiefs. That was, mm-hmm. you know, Jason Smorls, the general manager, et cetera. It has the board of directors, and then it's kind of this dance. And then they obviously have a contract with the county for the facility itself. So that's always a, a pretty complicated deal. And to a degree, some of this uh, now becomes streamlined. Uh, for better or for worse, with the uh, the major league entity coming in, so now the the same guy that's cutting the check to the shortstop is the person who's deciding what the price of hot dogs is and whether the players are active in the community or sponsorships and and all of that type of thing. Yeah, they, well, they'll be putting people in charge who will be right. responsible for that. And but so yes, by uh, by definition, there they will be responsible. And and you know we'll see you know how that how that works. Um, it has worked well in some places, has you know, not so well in others. Uh, but yes, they will be in charge of all that. And um, the you know the that sort of separation that existed. Well, it can exist for a few reasons. When the Toronto Blue Jays um, were the Chiefs affiliate, it existed in large, you know, not because the Blue Jays didn't own the team, but they just let the Chiefs do pretty much whatever they wanted. They, they were not <laughs> very hands-on. Nationals, I think, have been a little bit more involved. Uh, the Mets, obviously, now will be uh, completely involved. So, you know, the product that you see now, uh, as far as the players go, that will depend on what kind of farm system the Mets have. That, that would never change. But everything else now uh, it'll be interesting to see and they could very well decide to keep Jason Smorl as general manager in the front office they could give it a year and then evaluate I mean they you know they're in or will be in charge once this deal is complete yeah and there's all different kinds of course you're talking about 30 organizations there might be 30 different models in terms of how this works right so uh, for many years it was the case that the you know the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays never stepped foot in Syracuse. You know, the Nationals a little more engaged, and, and obviously the Mets could be more so than that. It's going to go quickly down the uh, yeah. organizational rankings here, but obviously you're dealing with, um, y- you know, in terms of the Mets personnel and, and how they approach it, I-, I think is kind of a fascinating aspect. And as you said, they could decide um, local people are – uh, the the way they choose to go, and then it's a different organization that determines uh, their priorities, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, that's where it's you know because uh, 
I'm a firm believer, Matt, and you can agree or disagree. The uh, on the field one loss record of a AAA baseball team, which is not controlled by the local, you know, management of a a team, to me is should not be a factor in attendance, et cetera. That being said, Syracuse is in a and they don't have any control. Has been in a pretty long run here of not being competitive atop the division. It, you know, and they haven't really been in the playoffs for all intents and purposes. For, for a very long time. Switching organizations by luck of the draw, it pretty much has to improve in that area. And the Mets historically uh, have been a little more competitive with their AAA team. Yeah, if you look at, say, 10 years ago, when this first came up, by the way, <laughs> this is right. this is not new. This is something that uh, has been around uh, for a while, this idea. But over those 10 years, the Mets AAA has done far better uh, than the uh, – you know, than the Nationals AAA team, uh, you know, over that 10 years. This year they were both bad. Uh, but um, you're right. As far as that goes, that's going to ebb and flow. Um, I think what the Mets can do here, though, is take advantage of this opportunity of being um, in New York and trying to grow fans here that will become Mets fans. And they can do that not just with a product on the field, but maybe having uh, autographed guests and really giving it a Mets you know, feel and flavor uh, to the ballpark and to the stadium and trying to do it that way. I mean, that that's the long-term idea I would think that they would want to do if they want to stay here. Yeah, I love that. I think that it kind of uh, smooths things out if that makes any sense. So instead of mm-hmm. sort of randomly being affiliated with DC, which is close and the kind of the, the name the Nationals was a nice uh, tie-in, but uh, that was contrived where now, you know, maybe you do get your pop-ins from the famous Mets and, and your boy Ed Cranepool and, and that type of thing. <laughs> right. um, and, and, and Cranepool played for the Chiefs. Uh, <laughs> back in, the Chiefs were actually uh, affiliated with the Mets back in 61, their first year, um, when the Mets, before the Mets became the Mets in 62, they had a minor league team, and I believe it was the, twin, the Twins and the Mets were shared a team here in Syracuse. So this is not the first time the Mets have been here. <laughs> the, the Mets, uh, currently by Baseball America, are ranked as the 15th strongest organization uh, the Nationals 19th. The Nationals had been fifth, now 19th. We're both kind of uh, middle of the pack. And, uh, you know, again, whether that relates to uh, wins and losses, and uh, we're not going to break down the uh, International League North uh, division <laughs> no. race here. No. But, I do think one thing in Syracuse, though, Matt, yeah. and uh, to, to your point earlier, I think because of the university and because of going, you go to SU games to see that team win or lose, that there is that mentality here. And I think that's hurt the Chiefs and the Crunch a little bit. Um, I know when I covered the Chiefs for all those years, I loved seeing the players come in. Derek Jeter, Chipper Jones, you know, on down the line, Carlos Delgado. You know, I love to just see these guys coming up as prospects and then going to the major leagues. But if you're going out to see them win, then you are highly disappointed, <laughs> you know, over and for the Crunch, too, or, you know, for the most part, other than a couple of the great years they've had uh, recently. So, uh, you know, that's a mindset that fans may never change here, but uh, hopefully they will. And part of that would be become because they were Mets fans, they'd be even if the team lost, but Dominic Smith got a couple hits or Ahmed Rosario, you know, made a great play, they'd be happy. So that may that's where the change may occur. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think you do have to say in a city like this, maybe. I'll have to soften my stance a little bit that the win-loss doesn't mean anything at all. It does because of, yeah, where people are primarily consuming their product around here is at the Carrier Dome, where certainly you're invested in the win and loss, and I understand yeah. it's a little bit different. So uh, lots to get into. We'll uh, we'll break it down over uh, some dinosaur here one of these days, and then we'll hear you tomorrow night, Matt. The uh, Yankees have kept it alive for at least yeah. one more day, the uh, fifth game of the ALDS 
is tomorrow night, and we'll hear you and Seth on Yankees on Deck, huh? Yeah, we're looking forward to it, and uh, you know anything can happen, right? You know this series has shown that. So to think that uh, that it's you know over that Kluber is going to automatically be great again, well, maybe not because he wasn't the first time. So it'll be fun to see what happens. Yeah, Sabathia and Kluber in uh, Game Five in Cleveland tomorrow night. All right, Matt, we appreciate your time, and uh, we'll look forward to see what's next. Okay. All right, great. Thank you, Matt. That's Matt Michael, formerly of the uh, Syracuse Post Standard, fo- followed and covered the Chiefs for many, many years now with the. Uh, Syracuse New Times, and he and Seth are together on Yankees on Deck, and they'll be together uh, tomorrow night with the show. Lots to get into, and uh, Paulie, I know you probably uh, disagree with some of my uh, positions on on some of this stuff, and we we can get into that. But uh, to me, the Chief, I'm passionate about the Chiefs because the Chiefs are a team, and yeah, I've worked for them a little bit here and there, but that's in the very distant past. I go to the Chiefs game for fun. And I go and I have a beer and a hot dog and I watch the game and sit in the sun and I love it. And I want it to be the best it can be. And it's been short of that, you know, for a while. There's been uh, certainly various improvements by the uh, current management and just want to see that be stable and continue to be uh, a nice, fun place to, to go enjoy a ball game. Thing that worried me about that is the money thing. Is if it does come down to money and they expect people to fill the seats here, they may have a little trouble with that. Right. I would say typically the major league organization is not concerned with that. Uh, the Minnesota, you know, I I do work for the Rochester Red Wings. Call a handful of their games for years. Uh, you know, a, a year and have have for several. They have a great relationship. The Red Wings and the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins hardly give a hoot about whether there's 4,000, 6,000, or 10,000 people at the game. Generally speaking, they want it to be vibrant. They want it to approximate the major league experience. But that's way, way, way down the list after where do they live? What's the clubhouse like? Is there a proper batting cage, training facilities? Are the, you know That type of stuff, that's what the major league team's checklist is. So when the Mets come in here, they're going to be far more concerned about the weight room and the hot tub and the batting cage and the hitting tunnel and you know those types of things here in the bullpen and player comfort and safety and developmental experience, all of that is more important than the line at the hot dog stand, which is an area of I think improvement needed out here. You know they go to the best the handful of games a year and for the Chiefs when they draw their biggest crowds the concession stands are jammed up, the concourses are choked off, um, but there obviously has been improvement uh, over the last years of the previous regime too. So we're uh, running late here. We'll uh, keep it moving. We'll have Dave McMenamin of uh, ESPN to talk NBA here in just a bit. I just look forward to Tim Tuffle bobblehead night. I'm and thinking Wally Backman as manager I think would be awesome. He, he is, uh, I could get my Don Russ Diamond King Frank Viola pitching. Uh, Greg Jeffries coming back. Is, uh, no, he's not, he doesn't actually work in the Mets organization. Frank Viola did. And it looks like they're shaking up that uh, had that group that was in Las Vegas. The coaching he was their staff. pitching coach. Yeah, right? won't won't be back uh, for next year anyway. It looks like, but uh, Wally Backman as manager would be price worth the price of admission anyway. I think he's mm-hmm. sort of parted ways with the Mets here in in recent years. But yeah, Tim Tuffle. Uh, Major League third base coach is a better job than Triple yes. uh, A manager in most cases. So very rarely do guys uh, switch those, but uh, we'll see. Lots uh, still to come. Press conference out at uh, the stadium today 
at 3 o'clock. Interesting stuff on the baseball front. We get into hoops next in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. What I did not want to hear Saturday after that game from anyone were excuses. Because this was a team that Syracuse had to beat. Now, maybe we got a little greedy in saying they needed to kind of put their foot down and stomp on somebody kind of win, but you got to take the wins how you can get them, when you can get them, with this schedule, and they did it. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. Live from the dboffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth on ESPN Radio here in Central New York, brought to you by CH Insurance, cnyrealtor.com, and Burdick Ford. Good to have you with us up until 3 o'clock. A spirited discussion of Syracuse Chiefs baseball. Didn't really foresee that. 24 hours ago, I didn't know they were going to get into that today, but we did. And uh, that's the start of the show. Plenty of meat on that bone to uh, save for a rainy day. And we'd like to uh, touch base on the NBA with the season soon to start. And we welcome in our friend Dave McMenamin from ESPN. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm great, Matt. How are you? Good. Do you have an opinion on the Syracuse Chiefs being sold to the New York Mets? No, I, I just found out about it because uh, I think a mutual friend of ours, Brian Sandler, posted about it on Facebook. He's a big Mets fan. He used to do media in the Syracuse market. was all upset mm-hmm. that he doesn't get to go to those games anymore. I, I have no time for my li- in my life for, <laughs> for my league baseball. Well, the, the only uh, parallel in your world is that over time, the NBA has built its developmental league to get closer to baseball, which is a one-to-one relationship between the major league team and you know now the D League or G League or whatever they're calling. So they're trending uh, toward baseball, and the current trend in, uh, in baseball is that the uh, big league organizations are buying up uh, some minor league teams to kind of keep some certainty and some... Uh, some uh, control over that, and we'll set that aside for another time. All right, so uh, <laughs> uh, NBA season coming along, and, and for our point of view here in Syracuse, the most interesting development, of course, is some uh, solid footing now for Carmelo Anthony, who uh, winds up in Oklahoma City, of all places, which was not really one of the uh, places thrown around, at least that, that I picked up on as a, a possible suitor for most of that. Uh, Catch us up on on what the prospects are for Melo and, and his last ditch effort here at a championship. It, it's a great situation to be in compared to what he had to go through in New York the last several years with Phil Jackson kind of sabotaging what they had going there. You know, I had several people familiar with the Syracuse basketball program text me when that trade went down. It's a reunion between Carmelo <laughs> Anthony and Troy Weaver. Sure, of course, Troy Weaver was. Jim Bab's assistant, who was really largely responsible uh, for his ties to PG County and the Baltimore area, bringing Carmelo to Syracuse in the first place. And Troy's the assistant GM, Oklahoma City. And, um, you know, he got Carmelo to waive his trade clause um, to have Oklahoma City be one of the teams on that list. Because for the longest, it was either Cleveland or Houston. And he gets to play alongside, you know, the current MVP and Russell Westbrook. You have Paul George there. You have a defensive-minded center. Uh, fans remember uh, Stephen Adams from his days at Pitt. Mm-hmm. And that's um, a team that's, you know, you'd say there's probably five teams with a chance to win it all this season. 
uh, four in the West, one in the East, and, and they're one of the four teams in, in the West. And at this stage of Carmelo's career, 15 years into it, and really, you know, I think he his reputation in the league is not fair. If you look at the amount of talent he's played with in his career, he just hasn't had the best teammates. Uh, even the team he got to the Western Conference Finals with, with Denver, you're talking about an older Chauncey Billups, and then maybe the third or fourth best players are uh, J.R. Smith and Chris Bird, Van Anderson. Um, he hasn't had this type of talent. And when he's had talent in USA basketball, he's been fantastic. And I imagine he'll have a strong year in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I think it'll be awfully fun to watch. We're visiting with Dave McMenamin from ESPN as Mello gears up with Russell Westbrook, of course, and Paul George in Oklahoma City. And if there are five teams, Dave, that seems like that's up from two last year at this time. So that's encouraging uh, in terms of the, the competition that we might see night in and night out. And how much of a push do you sense there is from uh, people in the league that are really desirous to see something different than Cleveland and Golden State? Well, you know, what you did see was rather than the teams around the league say, you know what, those two teams, they're head and shoulders above everybody else. They played each other in the last three finals. And we should just wait until LeBron gets old and until the Golden State Warriors find it to be too financially punitive to keep that team together, then we should make our our move. You didn't see that. You saw the Rockets be aggressive in getting Chris Paul. Um, Of course, you saw, you know, know, I don't include them in the list of, of the five teams, but you saw a very aggressive summer for the Boston Celtics. And some would say, you know, in getting better, they may have, you know, hurt the Cavs' chances sure. by getting Kyrie Irving. Um, but you saw Oklahoma City not resting on the laurels. And, you know, even though, again, the five teams are, I would say, Golden State, Houston, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, and Cleveland, there are other teams that, that are certainly intriguing. And, and even you know, this was a very good draft class. And I think there's going to be a reason to tune in and watch Sacramento and Darren Fox and and watch the Lakers with Alonzo Ball and, and some of the other teams around the league, um, Dennis Smith Jr. Um, in, in Dallas, uh, that are going to make some of the other teams, while they don't have a championship chance, uh, be worth watching on a nightly basis. Very good. And Dave, we have a uh, one-question-per-show rule for Pauly, so we're going to uh, allow yeah. him to play that card, and then we'll turn you loose. Okay. <laughs> Talking about those teams that uh, don't have a chance, you buying or selling on the Sixers this year? I am buying. Embiid uh, is such a special player. You got that contract out of the way. Obviously, his health is, is a big question mark, but whatever flashes we've seen from Ben Simmons already, he seems to be a guy who's going to have a nightly impact in the league. And then they added, you know, a guy like Redick, and, and you have Fultz, and uh, they just have a good collection, and they play in the East, and that, that could be enough to be an eighth seed in the East. So I, I am buying in terms of them taking another step forward, not buying them. Some people are so high on them, they said they can be a fourth or a fifth seed in the East. I don't see that quite yet, uh, but I think they're one of the teams to watch. Well, exciting stuff. The Sixers and I know the Timberwolves are another team that's uh, out there as an exciting young collection of talent. So uh, maybe we'll see a little turnover. I, for one, am, I'm fine with the Warriors and Cavs. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch uh, come the spring. Dave, we'll do it again uh, once things get rolling here. We appreciate your time. You got Indiana Waiters in Miami, man. He yeah, got, he got baby. Bag of money, and he's going to be taking all the last second shots. The only NBA player who's ever complimented my watch, Deion Waiters. <laughs> 
We appreciate it. Dion's the best. And so is Dave McMenamin of ESPN who joins us there. Back with more In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is the Romano Subaru Syracuse football pregame show. I think we have a veteran group. I think they understand what we're trying to do offensively and defensively. This week live three hours before kickoff at Shaughnessy's Irish Pub in the Hotel Syracuse. You know, you're going to be able to call a relatively straightforward game plan and not have to reach too deep into your playbook. The Romano Subaru Syracuse football pregame show. We are the pulse of the orange. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100. Point one. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Just a couple minutes left on the show. Later in the week, we'll have Bob with shoes, and he's on tomorrow's show talking about the Jets. Wouldn't be surprised if Bob also has the Syracuse-Miami football game. It was announced yesterday. That'll be a 3.30 kickoff the following Saturday, so that's right in the wheelhouse of either Bob or our friend uh, Dave Pash could uh, have the call of that one. So we'll talk pro and college football with the shoes tomorrow, building our way toward a Friday night matchup in the Dome as the Orange take on the Clemson Tigers. All our podcasts are now available on iTunes. Just search ESPN Syracuse in iTunes and subscribe to get the best of our shows. Send straight to your phone or computer so you can listen anytime to Orange Nation in the booth or on the block. There should be a new Brent Axe, Pauly Sibilia, we get it oh my goodness. this week too. That just comes right to your phone, huh? Can you yeah. block it? <laughs> What topics are covered there? Uh, I believe we hit on uh, the the basketball coaching scandal and uh, a little bit of Syracuse football recruiting. So. Scintillating. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> and I don't have to do anything, right? It just comes right to my phone once I subscribe. And I can tell you next week, we definitely will hit the new Star Wars trailer. That oh, came my out Lord. And this might be the last episode I listened to then. Skip it. Notice that they did roll that out during Monday Night Football. I was watching the Yankees. Yankees back in action tomorrow night. Matt and Seth will preview that for you. All right, lots of good stuff. No Joe on the show today. Thank God. That's a step in the right direction. (laughs) Back at it tomorrow at 2 in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.